In this episode, I interviewed Joseph Marcus, who is a product manager and inventor of airbands at Vault Performance. The main topic of this podcast was blood flow restriction, or BFR. We initially started to talk about how physiologically blood flow restriction works. We talked about the mechanisms behind it, why it's used, the benefits of BFR. Then we talked about any cons or dangers to BFR. We talked about different applications of BFR within sport, the parameters behind the use of BFR, what type of pressure, sets and reps, and so on. We talked about the percentages. Then we went into if it's used for other things such as warm-up, recovery, and a couple other things that Joseph mentions. And then we kind of dived into a little bit of his product, why he made it, um, and then the benefits of it. And then we kind of finish off on um, just the, you know, a good summary that Joseph gives of BFR in general, what it's used for, and then and just important things to consider when applying it. So great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Week Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Joseph Marcus, who is a product manager and inventor of airbands at Vault Performance. So today's topic is really going to be about uh, BFR, blood flow restriction, um, as that's what the main um, intentions are of airbands. So thank you very much for being on, Joseph. If you first just want to introduce yourself, kind of tell a little bit of background on yourself, how you got into doing uh, or making airbands and your interest in that, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, cheers, Patrick. Um, yeah, so I studied uh, exercise science and physiotherapy. Um, as part of my uh, physiotherapy degree, I um, uh, did my research project on blood flow restriction training. Um, even prior to that, I had a, pretty, uh, a few interesting experiences with BFR training um, in, in the early stages. And yeah, I, I sort of viewed it as a modality which was uh, really useful and, and emerging. And um, just the landscape that was no real consumer ready BFR device available to the sort of the general market. And I was, was pretty interested, uh, the, 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 even at the time then, so that maybe that's probably like maybe almost 10 years ago, uh, the literature was um, very promising. And I, yeah, I sort of just viewed it as the, a really good tool that clinicians and sort of the general public could use. And if they had a product they could um, easily get, I think, um, yeah, I sort, of, I sort of just realized that that was something that I could pursue and um, it could, yeah, it's been a really rewarding journey so far. Okay. Yeah, so just kind of from, from um, I guess, starting off with the basics of BFR, I guess if you just want to explain, I guess, the f- like physiologically, kind of how, how BFR works and what is the purpose of using BFR. Yeah. So the purpose of using blood flow restriction training would probably be as a adjacent tool to high load training when high load training maybe isn't uh, recommended. Um, basically, in, 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 in the numerous studies which have been published, similar results in terms of hypertrophy um, and, and strength gains uh, seem to be uh, available with blood flow restriction training. Um, uh, high, high load training is still more effective, but it, it seems to be 
a, a drastic um, uh, improvement in results when compared to low load training. So low load training versus BFR training. BFR training is far, um, uh, significantly um, a better tool to use um, in terms of uh, hypertrophy and uh, muscle strength. And basically, the, the, the mechanisms around uh, how blood flow restriction training works, which is just uh, on, on a very high level, creates a local mismatch in oxygen in the working muscle. And then that then signals pathways similar to high load training, um, basically inducing fatigue and then causing a state where the muscle fails. So basically, you reach a failure state much quicker. So instead of having to do because uh, um because like low load training isn't inherently in a uh, not low load training isn't ineffective but completing low load training effectively is very hard so um basically doing a 40 a 30 rm so basically 30 reps to failure is very difficult for someone to do so bfi training just basically uh, reduces the amount of reps required to get to failure and um, it also has some similar uh, interesting things emerging around not only the strength and hypertrophy results of BFR, but also some interesting things around um, uh, other sort of benefits which may come with bit blood flow restriction training, which we can which we can elaborate on. Yeah. So so basically, what you're saying is uh, it, it's just a, a way to um, get the same or close to similar benefits as higher loads with with less loads. And we can kind of go into the, I guess, um, when an application of this uh, in a second. But if you do want to, I guess, talk about expand on those other couple of benefits, and then we can kind of kind of go into um, when you or what, yeah, when you would use this. Yeah, there's a, there's a few interesting things looking at um, basically uh, the analgesic effects probably of blood flow restriction training seems to be uh, very interesting. Uh, basically, um, with the acute application of blood flow restriction training and performing the typical uh, uh, resistance training protocol, which is um, four sets of um, 30 repetitions followed by three subsequent re- uh, sets of 15, um, leads to uh, immediate reductions in pain, which are, are long-standing for which have long-standing um, intercession benefits as well. So, yeah, so, 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 so I know in terms of... Um, anterior knee pain patients or whatnot. So the application of, say, a leg extension exercise before the rehab exercise session has shown quite a significant decrease in uh, intercession pain levels. So that's one one thing which um, I think is quite interesting. But also um, the addition of blood flow restriction training and improving um, neuromuscular activation um, is another um uh, application basically applying uh, blood flow restriction training and doing uh, a split squat exercise led to a, a fairly significant uh, improvement in a jump height immediately after. That was an, another sort of uh, interesting uh, application. And then um, and tendon changes with the application of blood flow restriction training um, with low loads, so 30% 1RM. Um, is also uh, interesting. In, in, in that particular study, they were looking at high load training for the calf raise exercise. So, in terms of the clinical applications of that, it would be someone who had, who, yeah, it, it, basically same levels of um, tendon thickness improvements and strength improvements, but with 50% less load in that particular example. So, the applications are very varied and wide. 
But I think, um, yeah, that, that, that's, there's probably not as much literature to support those applications. But I think um, in terms of strength and hypertrophy, this, the literature is pretty sound in terms of, um, yeah, it, it being a effective and, 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 and safe modality. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like there are a lot of um, a lot of different benefits that are coming out as well, and it's just getting more and more as as time goes on. But uh, let's maybe we'll kind of talk about and expand more upon the I guess more research and more um, the ones that are it's used for more at the moment, and then depending on time, we can kind of come back to that um, with that pain neuromodular or the neuromuscular uh, kind of a warm up, and then the tendon um, effects as well. So I guess uh, the first of it is. When would you use it? So, so in a sporting setting, can you, I guess, talk about maybe the application of when you would use it, um, and then, and then how you would use it? Yeah, I, I think um, so. Generally, I would say you would use blood flow restriction training um, in the addition of blood flow restriction training, basically when high load training is impossible. So, uh, say, I don't know, a, a good example might be. There's a few, a few different. So, say, 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 an athlete was going into surgery. Uh, say, they had a, I don't know, like some, some say, some sort of uh, uh, knee pathology or whatnot. Prior to the surgery, if they were uh, load compromising, couldn't um, engage in, uh, in, in high low strength training, you could apply BFI training prior to build up, uh, say, quad mass or or or, or strength. Um, which then put them in a better position uh, postoperatively. But then, uh, postoperatively. Then you could um, look at the addition of blood flow restriction training as soon as um, uh, 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 medically cleared. It would, it would vary on the individual, but in those early stages where if, if they're relatively non-weight bearing or, or completing open train exercises, the addition of blood flow restriction training could be a useful modality to help prevent um, muscle atrophy or whatnot in, in, in those particular applications. Um and then later, sort of mid mid stage, still using blood flow restriction training in combination with um, uh, uh, more intensive resistance training and with maybe aerobic condition, aerobic exercise as well. And then transitioning to high load training once the tissue resilience sort of improves. So I think um, you would use yeah blood flow restriction training in a way of just basically aiding transitions. So in in, in a in the in the acute stages, it'd probably be um, uh, blood flow restriction training in addition to isometric or open chain exercises. And as the, um, the client sort of progresses or the athlete progresses, and the addition of blood flow restriction training to more um, the traditional resistance exercises and aerobic conditioning, and then when their um, uh, tissue resilience sort of improves again, then introducing uh, uh, high load resistance training. So that would be like one journey in terms of say how like an operative patient may be ha- managed with um, blood flow restriction. But in terms of just um, general athlete sort of inclusion of blood flow restriction training, uh, I think it would have to do regarding maybe if, 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 if you're worried about loading an athlete for whatever reason, say they had a, a persistent lower back pain uh, or, or, or whatnot, then getting them to do a percent backups may be more risk than benefit so then the inclusion of blood flow restriction training in that basically you probably wouldn't aim to uh, uh, supplement all of the high load resistance training sessions with BFR but the uh, addition of BFR to some of the of, of the training program or as an adjunct to their current training program could be um, probably very useful 
because that way it would help with um, uh, decreasing the likelihood of sort of developing um, load um, tissue mismatch injuries. And you're still getting uh, quite a few benefits from the exercise training session themselves. So I think um, for an athlete who isn't um, injured, because as you probably pretty, pretty, I imagine everyone in sort of the sporting world, like inter-season inter strength training is very difficult uh, because athletes are injured or they're traveling or they're, they're basically as the season progresses, athletes just lose, I imagine, muscle mass and, and size and it's hard to maintain. So I think the addition of BFI training in session, in season will allow for hopefully the maintenance of muscle mass without the introduction, uh, introduction of too much uh, training load or too, too much too much uh, training stress so that way hopefully you can maintain muscle mass and strength but also then prevent any sort of uh, overuse injuries so i think that's probably another useful application of bfr training okay yeah for athletes i'd say they, they would be probably the the the, the most beneficial application yeah, so the three different kind of is, you know, before and after surgery for that person with more of that chronic pain and then for just a, a way to still increase um, some uh, aspects of performance without loading up too much. So I guess kind of kind of going back to some things you said, I know there's, and you've said, you touched on hypertrophy and the research behind that. Um, I might have missed it. Did you say strength as well? There There is some good research on improving strength as well with that? Yeah, so... Um in terms of uh, uh, when, when, when compared to high load training, generally for strength, high load, like high intensity, regular 80% 1RM training is more beneficial for strength, but there seem to be um, BFI trainings um, uh, um, more uh, beneficial than low load training. So you still get quite a significant improvement in strength from doing BFI training, but, but not greater than high load training. So I think, the utility is is around muscle maintenance and size and hypertrophy, and then secondary would be improvements in strength. Yeah, so if you can't load up, it's going to be better than not doing heavy strength. But if you can do heavy strength, it's better to do that. Exactly, yeah. So so, so if, if, if you can do high-intensity training, do that. But if you can't, BFR training would be a, a very useful second option. Okay, and then I want to kind of bring it back to the other thing you talked about using it um, for aerobic fitness as well. How how would you incorporate it in in that, and what are the benefits behind that? Yeah, so just um, relating to basically causing changes to how um, the oxygen utilization occurs in the in the in the, in the muscle itself. So um, basically, with how VO uh, two max is calculated, um, it doesn't so much affect the cardiac component of uh, improving VO2 max, but the muscle component of, um, of, of, of the VO2 max equation is improved with um, BFR training. So in, uh, the, uh, how that would be incorporated into like a strength program or, or, or a conditioning program, and it, the, the literature is... Um, there is evidence to support the application of in, into aerobic training, um, and it just seems to basically uh, the protocols around it um, vary. But generally, it would be fifty uh, percent thereabouts of the amount of pressure required to cut off the blood flow. So they call that either arterial occlusion pressure or a limb occlusion pressure. So say that's fifty percent, and in terms of application, it, it would be 
15 in one study um, it was 15 minutes three days a week for three weeks and i want to say it led to like a six or seven percent improvement in vo2 max and then the, the, the exercise um was uh, cycling so and, and i think they were working at maybe 50 percent of their vo2 max that was the the, the the threshold so it was um and and they compared that to 45 minutes of unrestricted uh, cycling. So 15 minutes of cycling with BFR versus 45 minutes of cycling without BFR and both training at 50% uh, VO2 max. And the BFR group um, yeah, had quite significant results, whereas the unrestricted group had um, no changes. So it, it just, yeah, with the lower load exercises, the application of BFR leads to improvements, whereas low load training is, is, is beneath that threshold of causing muscular adaptations. So basically, yeah, so the BFR training elicits positive muscular adaptations at a lower threshold because okay, yeah. you're, you're introducing because you're introducing a kind of external another form of stimulus via the metabolic stress. Yeah. Okay. So just it, kind of similar aspects along all of them, just you know, slightly different, obviously, with the strength hypertrophy and um, some of that um, aerobic benefits as well. Um, I guess so for kind of going next into maybe just get a little more specific on the parameters and how, how it's kind of used. So um, what, what about sets, reps, when, how often per week? Um, is there some general guidelines for that? Uh, I know it's probably going to be a little bit different on the individual and the injuries and so on, but do you have some general guidelines for different goals? Yeah, for, um, okay, for um, say, say, say for resistance training or applying it for sort of strength and hypertrophy results, um, you're probably looking at two to three sessions per week. Um, the rep structure would be uh, uh, four sets. Um, uh, th- first set being 30 reps. And the idea of doing 30 reps would be to exhaust the muscle to begin with. And then followed by three sets of 15 reps, um, having 30 seconds rest in between. So that would be for strength. And then how... Uh, in terms of uh, the the load, is it the, the percentage of one RM? That would be dependent on the, I guess, client using it or the athlete using it. But you could do as little as sort of twenty percent one RM and scaling upwards from there. But it would be um, if if using BFR training for the first time with a with someone who hasn't done BFR training before, probably starting on the lower end and working upwards, just like without would be probably the. the um, uh, best uh, suggestion because you just be able to gauge how they react to it. But yeah, so so, so little as twenty percent one RM. Most studies sort of uh, float around thirty percent one RM. Um, so for resistance training would be thirty percent one RM. Um, uh, four sets, one set being thirty reps, followed by three sets of fifteen, uh, having thirty seconds rest in between. Um, the cuffs generally probably. And in, 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 they've, they've, they've done both continuous or intermittent, but probably continuous would be the easiest to um, implement. But so continuous pressure throughout, so even during the rest periods, and uh, completing either single joint or multi joint exercises. So that yeah, so that would be a, for resistance training a very general, and you'll be completing that two to three days per week, and on non 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 consecutive days. And you, you probably do that for 
two to three weeks, and then hopefully in that period, see fairly significant, see some some, some results in, in in that time span. Uh, so for, for aerobic training, somewhat similar uh, um, application. So uh, if applying it to the lower limb, that's probably starting at depends on the on the position of, of the exercise, but say fifty percent of the limb occlusion pressure, um, and doing yeah, fifteen minutes of continuous aerobic exercise as a 50% VO2 max. Um, and, and you could, that, that could be, that could be, so say walking, that could be cycling and we've also done rowing exercises. So, um, it, it really does. Um, I think the literature probably immature a little bit around the aerobic, uh, applications of BFR, but it, it seems to be very promising. Okay. Um, and then, so was that first one, sorry, again, for strength um, and hypertrophy, that first kind of parameters you sent? Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they're coupled together, the strength and hypertrophy. They, 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 they tend to be just, there'd yeah. be no real specific, yeah. Oh, good. Breakdown so, between those two. Okay. And then I guess kind of going further upon that, um, there's, there, I know there's other, quote unquote BFR devices out there that don't have pressure gauges or anything like that. And they're just more of the occlusion type training. How do you determine what pressure needs to be hit or in order to actually do blood flow restriction? Um, Cause if they don't have a pressure gauge or they don't have actual pressure and they just, you know, wrap bands around or just pull something tight, you know, what, what, how do you determine that? And are those just, you know, those don't really work um, or do they work or so on? Yeah, I'll say I'll start from the end. So a lot of the um, early research was done with sort of arbitrary pressures, so just arbitrary set pressures, and it, it was effective. But that didn't like um, they led to uh, improvements in, uh, in in outcomes. So like, like it's um you're not going to say that uh, setting an arbitrary pressure or an arbitrary tightness doesn't cause benefits because it does. Um, it's been documented. So the the only the, the, the benefit of uh, having an external gauge or, or or sort of more accurately understanding what the pressure is is in terms of just uh, prescribing the limit the minimal amount of pressure required to elicit results because then if there was going to be any misadventures um, you're, you're minimizing the risk of that by using the least amount of pressure whereas if you're using a maximal amount of pressure and still only uh, eliciting so the, the idea is they have doing. Um, they, they refer to it as practical practical BFR. It's basically application of a of a of a of a knee wrap or the or, or a rubber band or, or a medical or a medical tourniquet or whatnot. And then typically they sort of uh, have said around seven out of ten tightness or whatnot. But again, perception, patient perception. I think they can vary quite dra- uh, dramatically. And then and with BFR we know the sort of um. You still want some level of oxygenation in in the limb, um, and then going, eliciting sort of so going too tight may be uh, on, on one scale uh, in effect uh, dangerous and sort of and if you go too loose it could be ineffective. So I think it's kind of a the the, the benefit of external gauge is kind of letting you know taking taking the guesswork out and making something quite objective. Um, yeah, but in terms of yeah, that, 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 that's in terms of that. In terms of that, um, but I, I, I do know practical BFR um, elicits uh, that in, in, in the studies using arbitrary pressures or knee wraps has demonstrated um, uh, improvements in strength and hypertrophy. So that is a viable way of, of using BFR training. But in terms of 
safely implementing BFR with the least amount of pressure required in a very professional uh, way, which then is scalable. I imagine for, for, for sporting teams and athletes and whatnot who are worth millions of dollars, I imagine probably isn't the best idea to do something like that. So that's why they gravitate towards uh, automated uh, digital devices, which give them a pressure reading. Okay, so so that you can use the more of the occlusion non-pressure gauge or anything cuffs, but it is safer to use, you know, the other ones. So I guess we did talk about the benefits of um, blood flow restriction. I guess one thing we didn't really touch on as much as, or if there is any, are there any? I guess um, negatives, cons, or anything to be careful of. Is is it dangerous in any circumstances with with blood flow restriction? Yeah. Um, generally, so, 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 uh, I would say BFR training is well tolerated, um, uh, just generally, uh, as a modality, but then inside that there'd be subpopulations who would be contraindicated to doing BFR training, um, and then sort of further, uh, caution for other, other, other subpopulations as well. So generally I would say if exercise training is recommended to a particular client, then BFR training shouldn't be any added an added risk to that um, client. But if there are sort of uh, um, uh, comorbidities, or then yeah, I, I'd still recommend that a, 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 a client should be probably screened by a health physician prior to doing blood flow restriction training generally, or or complete some sort of um, exercise screening tool. Um, the contraindications explicitly for BFR training, there's people have synthesized and used um, uh, tools which they use for uh, diagnosing sort of deep vein thrombosis or uh, pulmonary embolisms, which yeah, which 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 which, which is very conservative, but very very uh, uh, I guess if someone does complete one of those assessments, you can probably be really comfortable that BFR training won't be. Uh, dangerous to them, but there's been uh, a number of studies looking at the safety of blood flow restriction training, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been demonstrated in um, clinical and non-clinical populations to be uh, safe. Um, and in terms of just like the risk, because I think most of the time, just the, the, the optics of blood flow restriction training, the immediate safety concern would be something regarding uh, a, a thrombus or, or a clot. Um, and it doesn't seem uh, uh, at, at this stage uh, that, that that's a, that's a concern of, of, of forming. Um, but I still would recommend that if you're implementing BFI training with a client that you're working with, just screening them appropriately um, to make to rule out sort of uh, do, uh, do they have uh, a family history of, um, um, of, 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 of of venous thromboembolisms. Do they have any sort of hemophilia or other sort of blood disorders? Do they have any um, clotting disorders? Um, do they uh, do they have um, any lymph um, lymphatic system problems? Um, that would be the, the main. Uh, have they had? Um, do they have sort of active cancer? There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of things which you um, would would want to screen for. Just and but just like applying any um, modality. So like. I often you know, speak to people as sort of just bring up like like uh, applying an ice pack has 22 contraindications. <laughs> like 
So like, and, and so, so it's the, the balance between, so safety, the definition of safety is the balance between risk and benefit. So like in some circumstances, the benefit is really big and then, and then it's worth whatever risk trade-off there is and some circumstances it may not be worth it. So I think, um, yeah, BFR training is, is a useful modality. Is it for everyone? It may not be, but for the people that it is for, it could be very effective. Yeah, so mostly, you know, safe unless you have some crazy comorbidity or something like that. It's been proven to be a pretty safe modality. Um, I guess for, uh, I guess just we did, went through some examples of different applications for sporting and stuff. But what about, uh, I guess, just places on the body too? So, like, obviously you can use it um, for the lower limb as we talked about that. Is there any, like, upper limb cases or other than the knee, you can use it for ankle or anything like that and so on? Yeah, so generally it would be any downstream. So basically, they recommend uh, the application of the of of, of so um, applying blood flow restriction would be to, to the upper limb. The, the delta tuberosity would be the landmark you'd be aiming for. So the rationale is because it's the same arterial blood flow distal to that. Um, higher up, there's just more tissue to support the nerves and the artery and the vein. So you're, you're not having as much shear forces going through them so it just helps the structures um, tolerate the pressure more and be still getting all the benefit and then from that um, say in the upper limb it's applied to the delta tuberosity training the bicep tricep forearm it's all, it's all very effective um, but then there's been a few studies looking at application of more proximal so basically applying say the upper limb applying the uh, cuffs to the delta tuberosity but then doing a bench press exercise and that seemed to have improved bench press strength and size greater than unrestricted. So it seems to have a, a, a proximal uh, effect by whether that's some sort of hormonal cascade, whether that's a preferential recruitment of uh, muscle fibers because you're um, uh, exhausting the synergistic muscles. Um, there's a few interesting things there to how and whether that's there's not a great deal of study, so I, I, I wouldn't routinely uh, I, 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 uh, claim that the, 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 um, the, the proximal benefits of BFR, but it seems to be some evidence around that which suggests it could be useful. Um, but definitely, distal to the cuff application, you can basically train any, any muscle group. And same thing for the for the leg, you'd be applying it to the. Uh, inferior to the inguinal fold, which is basically as high up on the thigh as you possibly can. And then you can train quads, hamstrings, uh, calves, uh, or, or a multi-joint multi exercise like a, like a leg press or a squat or a front squat. Okay, so you can, yeah, it can apply to the upper and lower limb. And, and I know we've talked about different rehab and instances for training that you could use it, but I've also heard um, some people using it for warm-ups. So uh, do, have you heard of that or do you know kind of the sets and reps or if that works or and so on behind that? Yeah, I've, I've seen um, – there the wouldn't be so much. The, 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 it escapes my name at the moment, but the, um, the one paper that I was sort of referencing earlier with the, the um, increase in post-activation was basically uh, – post-activation potential was basically um, – that would be a theoretical way of maybe in, including – blood flow restriction training effectively into a warm-up because I think at the moment to get sort of uh, improvements in neural drive or whatnot, I think you're using quite a heavy external load, whereas with BFI training, there's no heavy external load. So maybe there's something around 
um, the benefits of using BFR to improve um, uh, sort of muscle activation prior to doing some sort of um, sporting activity or, or a physical uh, uh, yeah, uh, sport could be one useful application. But I've seen um, a number of sort of uh, elite sporting organisations include BFR as part of their dynamic warm-up circuit. So basically just sort of doing it as a primer uh, drill um, to elicit sort of, um, yeah, as, 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 as a passive or active warm-up method. Um, and I think that would be specific to the sport, I would say, because um, it would vary from, say, baseball to rugby to basketball in terms of how they apply it. But I, I would imagine, um, yeah, if you were looking at doing that, it, it may be the application of BFR plus a few dynamic upper body exercises, maybe some dynamic push-ups and whatnot, plus then application of BFR training plus the addition of, say, some dynamic split squats or jumping squats or something just to, yeah, cause some sort of, um, yeah, a, a post-activation increase and then, um, yeah, as, as, a, as a non-taxing way of warming up, I'll, I'll say. Yeah, so is there a way, like, because it fatigues the muscle, obviously, um, but you still, but you want that um, neuroactivation of the muscle, so is... You, you wouldn't want to overdo it, you're kind of saying. You just want to kind of get maybe – so like whereas if you're rehabbing, you'd go the full way, whereas if you're doing this, you kind of want to stop in the middle before it's fatigued but still kind of working. Yeah, you – yeah. Well, um, and plus the loads are, 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 are low and, you, yeah. So it'd be – that one study was still referring to um, doing the, the – the, the, you probably just do uh, less since that. So you probably would be aiming um, – yeah, I would for less reps and sets generally, but I think that would vary upon um, the intention of what you're trying to do, and yeah, yeah, the, yeah I, I'd say in, in, the intention. So, so I think following an arbitrary rep range might be uh, not recommended. I think um, yeah, the, 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 that would be. I'd, I'd say the applications regarding sort of how to include uh, dosage wise into an effective warm up would still be up for up for grabs at the moment. I, I, mm. I, I, mm-hmm. I think each sort of clinician in each sport will probably have to do some trial and error to figure out how it could be useful. But I, I just think if, if sporting teams are traveling and then access to gym equipment is limited, um, utilizing blood flow restriction training in some ways through, through trial and error or just through experimentation in terms of um, figuring out dosage um, and performance, that'd be, that'd be quite interesting. And, yeah. and, 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 and particularly if they know that... Um, it's no, they're not placing the athlete in, 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 in any greater risk. And also there might be it's a, 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 a quite a significant upside. Yeah. And then what about, so obviously we talked about the performance aspects and the rehab aspects and then the warm up. So what about uh, recovery wise for like after games or day after games or so on? Is Do you know of anything for that of, for just kind of helping increase recovery wise? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, there's been a few, um, I, I know a few sports teams use it in that sort of respect in terms of like a muscle flush or, or, or a flushing effect like that. And I do, I do kind of get it because you are causing a muscle pump action in terms of um, pressures. Um, it, like in terms of, say, whether I've seen that in the literature, I, I, not so much. Like, um, maybe something to do with, say, probably the same way how like um, uh, recovery, leggings and whatnot work. Like I, I imagine it could be some 
sort of connection there. But I, I haven't seen the application of BFR in, in, the, in the aiding of um, recovery or, or, or decrease in, um, yeah. But I'd say just because maybe it hasn't been um, researched yet, doesn't, I wouldn't say that's, doesn't, that doesn't mean it's ineffective. I'd just say it's probably an area which could be looked at further. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah, definitely with performance and rehab and then warm-up and recovery are still kind of on the on the cusp of, um, I guess, potential research topics. Um, I guess maybe next we can kind of go into a little bit more um, on kind of your product a little bit and maybe talk about how the airbands work compared to other cuffs and uh, how you developed that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, generally, uh, the sort of the motivation for developing airbands was – making BFR training easier to implement. So like, back in sort of when I first started developing airbands, the, the products were generally, A, uh, quite expensive, was probably the biggest um, op- uh, obstacle, maybe even like in, in, in the past range, you say five to $10,000 USD, which is which makes it even for a clinic, or it makes it quite unattainable. And even for a sports team, it, it limits sort of how many they can get or whatnot. Um, and then outside of that, the protocols around and education around BFR was very, very limited. Um, there was there was no real easy to digest um, information. There was no case studies, so that was also another problem sort of identified. And um, so, and then and then basically the systems that were available were like analog systems with like pumps. And hand, external wires and whatnot, which were again just uh, not a not a very convenient uh, product, um, and just n- not easy to use. And I, I sort of assumed that, the, yeah, that I imagine just as being a physio, I, I sort of said like a, like a more sophisticated product was needed, and which was just for like and whatever pain points that I ran into, I, I kind of just went, oh, if I have these problems with pumping up these cuffs. Knowing what pressure to use, um, they're not, they don't look very uh, uh, aesthetic. So maybe I, maybe my athletes won't want to use them routinely if they don't, um, they're not easy to use and they look kind of um, uh, strange or whatnot. And and then also the fact of how do you convey information easily, and then sort of that led to wireless, uh, automatic, and having a smart app. Because with a smart app, it just allows a lot of information to be disseminated very quickly. So, like, in the, in, in the Airbands app currently, we have um, uh, a screening tool built into the app. Um, it allows the pressure to be um, calculated uh, automatically, the cuffs in play on their own, and there's also um, uh, some information regarding um, our pressure recommendations uh, in-app, and we do hope to expand upon um, actual protocols and um, whatnot in the app as well. Because I, I think the days of whether BFR training is effective is um, uh, over. I think the BFR training, everyone knows BFR, BFR training is effective as a modality. I think then the next obstacle was making BFR training accessible. And I hope sort of Airbands does that. And I think at the, and keeping them super competitively priced was like a big thing for me, was basically allowing people to use them. Whereas, yeah, I think that, that, was, that was one thing. Because I think I think, that was, that was pretty huge. Yeah, definitely, because it's probably something that would be very beneficial, but it's, again, hard to access if you don't have the, the money for it. So, um, yeah, probably that's the, like I said, that was probably a big focus with yours. Do you have any advice or 
any way to help with that, with the cost and implementation into a program? Um, is uh, Do you recommend, I guess, getting multiple or just trying to s- cycle through one or so on with that? Yeah, it depends on what, sort of who the end user is or whatnot. So if you're saying sort of like uh, a, if you're using, say, a physio or, or, or a strength and conditioning coach as an example, you, it, it, it may be worth um, them having a set and then if they're using it with uh, with, uh, with their athletes, and at some point maybe if if you if it's a training if it's a, if it's a training team environment, you may look at getting a, a, a couple of units for the squad, and then cycling around using them. But if it's a one-on-one situation, you could use uh, a set, and then maybe just um, disinfect and 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 follow sort of health uh, uh, protocols between um, uses. Um, but yeah, so I'd say generally, if it was if it was a sort of a, I, 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 I'd say because of the benefits of BFR training seem to be around two to three days per week. If you if you're working in a uh, uh, with a, with a client, you generally probably don't see them more than once a week. So then I don't know that you could probably advocate pretty strongly either the client buys a set of of a device themselves and does the training at home or um, you, the clinician maybe then maybe lease, leases a set to them because yeah because you, you'd hate to then prescribe something only once a week when you know it it, it, it to be effective requires three sessions a week so that that'd be that'd be yeah but yeah in terms of models of how sort of the access to blood flow restriction training device like the sort of um, other other systems out there sort of uh, because they're cost prohibitive it requires people to go back to the clinic. And use it in in clinic, and depends which, in, in athletic populations. You may um, think that the athletes could probably work a little bit more autonomously, but I, I'd still say some level of supervision would be uh, encouraged. And then in more um, general uh, general market uh, clients, again, some level of supervision uh, probably would be encouraged. Um, but then airbands makes the BFI training more accessible. So it's kind of a middle yeah. ground there between yeah. um, sort of. Yeah. It just kind of depends on the, the setup, obviously, I guess, and, and your, your usage is for them. Um, I guess. Um, so for the, your experience with them and, and kind of going on in that, do you have, I guess the most kind of researched injuries or rehabs are used for currently um is is there any ones that are like um probably the best research for compared to other words other ones or is it pretty much just um any injury that's kind of similar to that it's it's you could use it and it's beneficial for it for example you know you're oh sorry go ahead oh no i was i was just gonna say yeah it's, that's, that's, a, that's a good question and, and seemingly I think would be very broad in terms of application, like the actual injury itself, or or the or the uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, specific in terms of like um, whether it's more effective or not. It's basically if someone is load compromised and can't engage in high load training, BFR train the addition of BFR training seems to be uh, uh, useful, particularly okay. then when compared to low load training. So that's that's pretty much that'd be it. The addition of BFR training um, seems to be significantly uh, more effective than low load training and uh, uh, high load training is is the most effective but BFI training is, is, is maybe the second most effective 
Okay, so yeah, just as you as you've kind of been saying, using it as a training modality um, when normal high load training it can't be um, performed, I guess, or whether that be accessible for equipment wise or for injury purposes. I guess um, what, what would you say uh, if you could just want to kind of summarize because you made a lot of great points on this, kind of summarize the main takeaways you want uh, people to know from BFR. Yeah, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, the main takeaways would be, I guess, just sort of a, a general level would be apply the cuffs to the uh, fleshiest and, and, and highest aspect of the limbs. Um, don't apply four cuffs at the same time because it just causes too much um, uh, 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 systemic uh, blood flow changes and that, that may be an added risk because you're basically affecting the hemodynamic system of the body pretty significantly. So only two cuffs at a time, upper body or lower body. Um, the cuff closer to the working muscle seems to be more effective. So if you're doing upper body training, upper, uh, cuffs on the upper uh, upper limb, and if you're doing lower body training, cuffs on the lower body. Um, uh, following the, the rep protocols, using the minimum, most minimal amount of pressure possible. So, um, uh, and then, yeah, ensuring that um, uh, you follow the, the the client's kind of um, uh, perceptual, uh, uh, basically feedback from the client in terms of um, how they're feeling and um, uh, if, if there's any sort of um, if, if, they, if they complain of any sort of numbness or tingling or anything like that, coldness in the, in the limb, stop stopping the session, decreasing the pressure, reassessing, going from there. And then sort of understanding what sort of normal reactions to BFI training are and um, what uh, abnormal reactions to BFI training would be. And then and, and screening appropriately from client to client as well. And then they're yeah, realizing that the BFI training is a balance between safety, uh, risk and risk and reward. So I think um, I'm making it quite specific to the individual. And But just knowing in terms of how people prescribe rehab exercises currently is is, 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 is probably not in line with uh, uh, the progressive overload. Um, like it, it, it doesn't correlate in terms of say, giving someone three sets of 10 with a green ferro bands uh, in a rehab program, you probably know that's ineffective. So, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then yeah, graduate. So that, yeah. So I, I think yeah, generally just sort of, um, as tissue tolerance improves, so should um, uh, so should loads. So basically, and BFR helps with that in terms of uh, allowing tissue tolerance to be preserved, but then also introducing loads, but they're not mechanical loads; it's a metabolic load. Awesome. Well, awesome. Thank you very much for the information and um, all the knowledge in this episode if you want to just maybe um, say where people can follow you or or contact you or where your product is available and so on and then i can put those in the show notes um so um, people can find you and go from there i'll say um yeah like um my email is uh joseph uh, airbandsbfr.com um and, and uh, info at airbandsbfr.com is also a good 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 a good place to get more information um, and probably the website, I would say. Um, also, uh, Airbands BFR um, on uh, uh, social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and then, um, yeah, www.airbandsbfr.com for the website as well. I think, um, yeah, I think the, the yeah, social media, which we're trying to be more active on there, because I think basically the bottleneck has been uh, information, education, 
So we're trying to get them to be more interactive. So we're trying to get push push more content out there. Awesome. I'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Thanks again very much for being on and thanks for the information. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you've enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on iTunes, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning and injury and rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on Facebook at Coach Patrick Wood, on Twitter at Coach Patty Wood, and on my website www.patrick-wood.com. All of this can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening.